the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. My heartbeat always increases just a little bit when I hear that Van Halen music. I just it always gets me excited for the top of a new hour. Welcome back. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. This open line Friday. Rob was starting a conversation with us at the end of the last hour. It's our shortest segment, so I asked if he wouldn't mind uh, resetting it for the top of this hour. Rob, go right ahead. Thanks oh, for your oh, patience. Oh yeah. Well, actually, I'd rather talk about Van Halen and how being I would too. Yeah, because, you know, we used to listen to Van Halen crank up really loud at Miramar at the Naval Air Station when we were pumping iron to keep our G-tolerance up. And that that was very inspirational and perspirational, among other things. Um, uh, kind of beside the point of why I was calling. Um, but again, uh, Dr. Ward, and again, you know her. Um, I obviously never met her, don't know her, never talked to her. Um, she seems like a, a great person, uh, very... Uh, she has she apparently put her heart and soul into the whole election, and it didn't quite work out the way it was supposed to. What what I'm seeing, again, from a lot of comments, that uh, both in her article on Town Hall, uh, that Tucson uh, news article about people wanting, you know, a different uh, state uh, chairman, and then the comments, she has at least three, I think, from today alone, about her seeking a second term as chairwoman of the Republican Party in Arizona. She had an endorsement from former Tr- President Trump. And um, th- th- it's always interesting to read comments, almost as much fun as reading the articles themselves, because it sort of gives you an insight into what others are thinking. And again, I don't know because, again, not knowing her, uh, all I know is what I see. And what we saw was, uh, you know, Martha lost her election. And yes, uh, we could go on and on about whether she was a weak candidate or not. Uh, the money that uh, went into the Arizona campaigns. Uh, yeah, we kept uh, the Republican Congress people in office. Uh, and I guess, I, is it a one or two legis- state legislature lead that the Republicans Yeah, we, we, we maintained the legislatures. We thought we would lose those. And we flipped the county recorder seat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Too. Oh, and yeah. you know, we also won the uh, Maricopa County attorney seat, which was touch and go, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. So, again, I mean, I... I think this may be a topic that more people should start discussing because these things hit close to home, the state of Arizona. You know, you talked earlier a lot about the illegal immigration issue, uh, which I think hits Arizona big time as well. And again, it's not necessarily an Arizona GOP party issue, although in a sense it is, I guess. But I think, you know, a discussion about the future of the direction of the Arizona GOP, again, Barry Goldwater came from here and was sort of the defining, after probably after William F. Buckley, the defining conservative within, well, within America and within the Senate. Um, and, and seeing how apparently, and I don't know if it's true or not because we don't know uh, details about voter irregularities on the third, uh, whether it was really true that, um, you know, the Democrats won the state. Uh, and maybe we will never know. I don't know. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that out because I think it's an important
important discussion issue. I think it's also important to have Arizonans start thinking seriously about the direction we want the Republican Party to go, because, again, in a lot of the comments, you know, I'm leaving the Republican Party, I'm going to vote independent. Well, that's not the answer, you know, or... You know, what? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This drives me nuts. I'm leaving the Republican oh, yeah. Party. I'm going to vote independent. OK, what if Donald Trump runs as an independent? I mean, I, yeah. you know, th- th- it just tells you nothing about no. what someone stands for when they say this. Um, what, right. what is their Republican Party? Is their Republican Party Mitch McConnell or is it Ted Cruz? Is it Tom Cotton right. or is it Mitt Romney? I mean, it's a pretty wide berth here. To oh, leave uh, without being more specific. If someone's leaving the party, I want to know why. And I also want to know why they were a part of the party. That's actually more an important, a more important question. If someone tells you they're leaving the party, my first question is, well, what had you be a member of it in the first place? Because we're going to yeah. now talk about the, 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 the political preferences that you have, the ideology that you have, the predilections mm-hmm. that you have policy-wise. Mm-hmm. And I'll redound to what... You know, I was saying um, I think it was uh, I was saying earlier in my in my monologue, uh, what was it that people loved about Donald Trump that said they loved him? Well, usually they they would make these these statements. I couldn't stand the personality. I couldn't stand the temperament, but I liked his policies. Okay, what were they? The economy bursting out and being revived by substantial tax cuts and the cutting of regulations. Um, a heck of a lot of great judicial nominees, energy independence, a strong border policy, no major wars, but a destruction of terrorist entities from Iran to ISIS, uh, building up the military, putting putting China on record as being a human rights of, abuser. Um, mm-hmm. Right. That, that's about about the category of things people liked about Donald Trump, who said they liked the policies but didn't like the personality. Fine. Those policies are the same. I mean – Hang me if you want from my feet, but by and large, those policies are this are, are pretty standard Republican policies. It's just that he Absolutely. did them. It's just that he yeah. executed them. This is these yeah. are the policies a Ronald Reagan would recognize. They're the policies a Barry Goldwater would recognize. Maybe a little arguments here and there on a few of them, but they would be arguments here and there on a few of them that are pretty traditional in the conservative movement in the Republican Party. Well, absolutely right. And also, don't forget how he held NATO uh, members accountable for paying their fair share. Yeah, sure. Uh, Sure. We can add to it all. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I was just giving the contours of maybe four or five off the top of my head. But yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot more to say to it, too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I'm leaving the party. Why are you leaving the party? Why? That's right. Well, did you see the riot on Capitol Hill? Oh, you mean the... um, The uh, one-tenth of one percent of the adult population in America that Mm -hmm. had an anarchist political misfit tantrum for three hours? Yeah, I saw that and denounced it, as did every other Republican. Yep. That's the reason? Yeah, I know. And the other part of that— Dennis Prager made a good point. When's the last time you saw a political insurrection that was unarmed? Yeah, really. Um, I never thought of that been, until today. I heard yeah. you say it today. It's pretty well, yeah. One one of the other comments, or several of the other comments, also had to do with, oh, we want to start a new party, the Patriot Party. Well, I'm not Why? sure that that's Why? the reason. No. No, you're right, because I think what really is needed is to 
get the Republican Party to stand by its principles, to promulgate its principles, and to get people to understand its principles so that people will know why they were Republicans in the first place and also convince those who aren't Republicans to maybe go that way, people like Kansas. You know, I tell you, it just dawns on me. Start another party to drain votes from good Republicans. As we watched the Libertarian candidate in Arizona win 50,000 votes when Donald Trump lost by 11, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And that that's what would happen. Exactly. exactly. Right. Anyway, anyway yeah. Seth, love you. Have a great weekend and uh, we'll chat again sometime. Hey, Rob, you're former military. Yes, retired. Retired military. Is the scene of what happened with the National Guard in the basement as bad a scandal as people are saying? I think mostly for those that were in the military, we look at it as a leadership problem, not just the uh, National Guard uh, senior officers. But also, I think whatever uh, entities were directing the National Guard uh, in Washington to be there uh, when they were there, that obviously, in hindsight, weren't really needed. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. You, you, you look at one of the most important duties, and I, I talked to Kurt Schlicker about this, one of the most important duties of an officer is to take care of your troops. Yeah. And laying around marble floors while all these politicians are walking back and forth and not talking or paying attention to them isn't a good look. Yeah. And again, I hold leadership responsible for all that. Um, and Don't you again, think they were also used for political purposes the last week? Oh, absolutely. I do, too. They were okay. absolutely used for political purposes, and they still are. Um, I'd heard that Ron DeSantis recalled his yeah. 200 or so yeah. National Guard folks yeah. back to Florida yeah. because at least, thank God, you know, he, he looked at that and was appalled and said, hey, we're not going to put up with that. Let's right. bring them home. Right. But, yeah, I think I think that was just political. And I think, yeah, and then they put him in a, what, a parking garage yeah. Uh, yeah. afterwards where yeah. there's no heat or anything. Right. And it's kind of cold in D.C. this time of year. Yeah. Right. But, again, that's disgusting. Mistreatment all the way around. Yeah, mistreatment yeah, all the way around. Yeah, it's a failure. Okay. Good, but Ron. that's what we have uh, uh, before us right now, Seth. <laughs> I understand that. Get ready for yeah. more of it. Strap on your seatbelt. Oh, Stay close. Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate All it. All right. All right, Have brother. a great weekend, You sir. do the same. Thanks. Always good hearing from you. Got a bunch of other calls we'll get to when we come right back. You know, I'll just put in a word for balance of nature as we're heading into the break. I take it every single day, and I get tens of thousands of vital nutrients from 100% whole food plants, fruits and veggies that are locked into these vegetarian capsules that are easy to open and sprinkle on food and drink if you don't like swallowing them. I have no problem swallowing them. They use this unique cold press process to preserve all of the great potency of all the great potent healthy stuff in these capsules. And they have a great deal with free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. You will boost your immunity with this like with nothing else. You like a hard-driving guitar, don't you? You just really do. Uh, Folks, be prepared for a lot of these stories now. It's okay to write them now, so they're going to come out now. Reuters. Ready? Ready? Just out. Critics have said the CDC fumbled key decisions on COVID because the Trump administration meddled in the agency's operations. 
But Reuters has found evidence that the response was marred by actions and inactions by career scientists and frontline staff within the CDC. It's going to be okay for these reports to come out now. So just be prepared. Just be prepared to see them. Yeah, it wasn't all Trump's fault. It just wasn't. It just wasn't. And you could listen to this show and get that, or you can now read Reuters after the election and get it. Doug's in Maricopa. Hi, Doug. Well, rumor has it you have the great Larry Arn coming on soon. No, that rumor is false. I have the great Larry Elder coming on soon. Oh, well, that's the every bit of Is there good. a bad Larry? Is there a... <laughs> well, there was the one well, in the Big that, Lebowski, Larry. He was a bad Larry. Yeah. Uh, is there any such thing as Larry Wilkinson? Larry Wilkinson may have been a bad Larry at the State Department. Yeah. Generally, I like yeah. Larrys yeah. and Lawrences. I, I tell you, especially that one. Uh, tell, tell the great sage that uh, he has a breath of fresh air. He's the best. Um, He's the teacher we need yeah. right now. That, that's it. And his love, his passion, his intellect. Yeah, he's going to be coming at comfort. you with both barrels in about yeah. 10 minutes. Okay. Well, here's the thing. I was in listening uh, to your show. Um, I, I get all of Trump's tweets. And um, I think at first I was kind of shocked by his style a little bit. But I've grown accustomed and basically said he basically talks the way I do to in my, many of my business friends. And they're all good men. Uh, many of them fellow Christians and everything else. Uh, but when he shakes your hands, when in the old school, when I was a kid, they shook your hands. They, they, they did. They didn't need a contract. What they said was honored. That was that was guts. They were strong. They were in your face, and they were honorable. Uh, we become wussified, and that's why what I'm afraid of if, is not what you're, you're reporting on in the liberalism. It's everything I've been saying liberalism is, leftism, uh, for 40 years. I've watched this advance. What shocked me is when you were saying, because you mentioned this, that uh, many of the people say they're, they're, they don't like the way he talks and tweets. And this, I think, I think is one of the biggest weaknesses of us on the right. I agree. We we value how sweet we talk right. more than the principles of freedom. And I challenge anybody to do a discussion or debate on this because they value sweet talk more than the values of freedom, more than uh, uh, national security. They value sweet talk more than the deficit and in the budget and the in, in the regulations. And I can prove that because if you – push for any one of those, not to be a placeholder, like I said, where you hold all leftist advances in place. That will keep them passive, and they'll only mildly insult you. You want to make them go crazy, begin to advance a leftist, I mean, a right agenda, a conservative agenda. Begin to reduce the... Govern the way you campaign might be a way you put it. And the reason I say that is um, when you said drive them crazy, I had this memory of George H.W. Bush in the final days of the 92 campaign that was not going well for him when he ultimately lost to Clinton. I remember him doing a rally where he held up a T-shirt saying, this is my favorite T-shirt. It says, annoy the media, vote for Bush. You know, um, Mitt Romney in the uh, 12 campaign or McCain in the 8 campaign, these guys... During the campaign, they find their moxie often, often, maybe McCain less so than Romney and and Bush. Only in the campaign. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what Trump did was he kept the moxie. 
and uh, probably there's a, a good case to be made that you do want to move from campaign mode to governing mode. But if you want to know the secret of winning an election, you make sure that there is not that big of a difference between the way you campaign and govern. And the thing that will be said about Donald Trump is he kept his promises. He did do what he said he would do. And we're going to have a lot of history written about this. He angered a lot of people off. And and I get that. I get that. And there's something about being a little bit kinder and a little bit nicer and a little bit more sensitive to the – to the ears of the moment, but he did what he said he would do. Well, you know, here's here's the end and the result, and I wish everybody would get a grip and 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 take their diapers off and grow up a little bit, a little bit of history studying. And I know I sound like I'm getting tougher, and I my my usual thing in years past is getting and talking historical and going all the way back to Bastion and talking about socialism. But uh, it is my party and my party's mindset that makes me fearful it is not my enemy it is my complacency if you go back and listen to lincoln you can get as eloquent as you want he called a spade a spade it was eloquent he really upset people he in matter of fact slavery was allowed to exist because of my republican fellows mindset for 40 years they weren't republicans there but i'm saying the mindset of don't get them upset Let's talk nice. There was only one man, and he was considered terrible because he just get everybody upset. It was John Quincy Adams, the only president to go back to the House of Representatives. And he was the first actual national politician to begin to uh, push back to the Southern slavery's advance. Up until that time, my whole point is complacities and niceties does not make you morally superior. It makes you gutless because if evil Re- repeat is that, Doug. I miss I miss the predicate. What makes you gutless? What I, I miss the predicate. Being nice and sweet Got talking. It. Got it. Can, it doesn't make you morally superior if you're gutless in the advance of good. Mm-hmm. If evil is allowed to advance because that's a higher priority to talk sweet, then evil is allowed to endure and you are morally corrupt because you allowed it because a higher priority morally to you is the, the, the cadence that you talk in. I would take a rough-talking, thick-handed rancher or farmer that talked in my face because I I grew up with them and they were honorable and spiritual and kind, but they were rough-talking, than I would a sweet-talking con man. We have to say, if our principles are liberty, then we must fight for them, not just, uh, you know, but we hold in this party kindness and conversation so mcconnell can get up and start sucking up to the radical left never have we been more radical left and the agenda should terrorize everybody because what's coming down the road and you're going to report on it all the time does not shock me it will get worse i predict and he is yucking it up the left when trump got in start was fighting from day one and our passivity is frightening yeah that is what frightens me, yeah. not my Good enemy. Word. Good word. Good for you, so brother. Anyhow, I love you all, but by God, take the diapers off and let's start fighting. I like that. Take the diapers off and let's stop, Let's start fighting, including the face diapers. Yes. 
Wipe you. away the tears. Thank you, Doug. God bless you, sir. Bye. Larry Elder coming right up. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. As promised, it is a delight, a privilege, and an honor to welcome back for the uh, what will be a second time on air in Phoenix today, Larry Elder, the great Larry Elder, one of my favorite, not just broadcasters, but thinkers, one of the clearest thinkers on the scene, one of the teachers America really truly needs right now. Larry, thanks for coming on again today. Really appreciate it. Seth, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You betcha. I, I've told the audience, I've told you, uh, your film, Uncle Tom, uh, really probably the best thing that came out all of last year. I saw it several times. Um, but you had to write a column about this. Talk to me about this, uh, Larry. It's not getting the reception in Hollywood that a film with the kind of ratings and reception um, from the audience, a film like that normally would. You have a piece out, Uncle Tom, blacklisted by Hollywood. Talk to me about that. Right. I feel like the, the, the Rodney Dangerfield yeah. Danger yeah. of filmmakers, right. Seth. I mean, my goodness. I'm, I live in Hollywood, and the rule of thumb is if a, if a film, even if it's a little film like a documentary, and documentaries aren't, aren't big blockbusters, uh, but, it, you know, little film, if it, if it uh, gets back three times its cost, it, it's a hit. Yeah. As, as we speak, Seth, it's now on, uh, as of last week, it's on Amazon Prime. Now it's on iTunes. Uh, it's on Walmart, both on the shelves soon and also online. And, of course, you can, uh, you can get it on UncleTom.com. So it's, it's, it's available everywhere. Um, uh, it's done, as we speak, seven times its earning, yeah. and it's just now getting going because most people still don't know about the film for the reason we're going to talk about in just a second. Yeah. It's been ignored. Yeah. Uh, the Daily Variety, the local uh, trade, the major trade, the Hollywood Reporter, uh, all, none of the major film uh, critics in any of the major newspapers uh, have reviewed the film. Uh, a guy in Chicago who writes for the Chicago Tribune named Jack uh, Cass, John Cass, uh, Cass, K-A-S-S, wrote about it, but he's a political writer. Mm-hmm. And the angle of the story was... Why aren't, people, why aren't people writing about this film? Uh, and um, uh, Cheryl Atkinson, who used to be with CBS, uh, also wrote a, wrote a column called Uncensored about the film and how good the film is, yet uh, the outside mainstream people are ignoring it. And um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really quite something. I, I, I knew that it was going to be a, a hard slog to get people to, to see the film outside of conservatives. Sure. But once it broke through and once it started doing so well, I'm really surprised, honestly. Um, the last 10 Oscars, the last 10 films that have won Oscars, none of them have had an IMDb rating higher than mine. One matched it called OJ in America, had an 8.9. That's exactly where uh, Uncle Tom is right now. The rest of them, uh, Free Solo, uh, the one called Standing, uh, Standing, in the, Standing in the Shadows, I can go on and on and on, the last 10 of them, none of them had an IMDb rating, International Movie Database rating, uh, as high as, as, uh, as Uncle Tom. And there are three major year-end film lists, one by IndieWire that covers independent films, uh, and they've had about 25 of their top uh, films on 2020, and uh, I looked at all of them. None of them had an IMDb rating as high as, uh, as, I, as Uncle Tom, and Uncle Tom also has a 96% rating on what's called Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And this is when anybody can, can write a review, yeah. and they're pretty brutal. Yeah, it's, it's uh, and a few of them on some of the year in lists have uh, Rotten Tomatoes ratings 96% or higher, but only a few of them do. Mm-hmm. So uh, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, whether critically or whether financially, Uncle Tom is a smash, smash hit. Now, yesterday I went on the air, Seth. Uh, this was uh, on the air, you know, on the wire without a net, 
And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to IMDB rating and look at the last 10 most recent rating put up. And anybody can put up a rating. Yeah. And I read them on the air, the last 10. Yeah. And they were all 10 out of 10. Yeah. He was saying, best document I've ever seen. Oh, my God. I thought it was going to be this. It ended up being that. I thought it was going to be this. It ended up being that. And most people who are liberal who, who, who ultimately see the film say this, Seth. I thought it was going to be a bunch of conservatives telling me how to think. Right. In fact, what it was was a bunch of conservatives saying, you black people are free to think. Mm -hmm. And it is a love story, a love letter to America. One person said this. And that's what it is. It's a positive, uplifting, positive thing that I believe brings the country together. I have this arrogant belief that they had, uh, they had America seen this film before the election, Donald Trump uh, doesn't move out of, out of the Oval Office. Because well, enough black people would have realized that this narrative they're being fed, that America uh, is systemically racist, has always been systemically racist, uh, uh, belies the the way that black people have attacked these obstacles and how America has struggled to reconcile itself uh, to the reality versus its, its values. And we have struggled mightily to become a more perfect union, not just blacks, not just whites, but everybody, to get to the point where, as Martin Luther King said in 1966, uh, I, I'm so confident now, I believe that someday we could have a black person president in about 40 years. Bingo, right about 40 years, Seth. Yep. And he didn't say in 40 years' time there'll be a black CEO of Fortune 500 right. company. That's there been several. He didn't say there's going to be a black mayor of a major city. Uh, all the major cities have had black mayors. New York, L.A., Philadelphia, Chicago, Dallas, Houston, all of them have had black mayors. He didn't say a black governor of one of the uh, states of the Confederacy, Doug Wilder, was the governor yep. of Virginia. Right. He didn't say any of that. He said president. Yep. That means once you get there, we can reasonably say that America is evaluating people based upon the content of their character, not the color of their skin. At that point, we've hit, we hit the summit, he said. Instead, what happened? The goalposts got moved. Yeah. Hold, that, hold, sudden, that, hold it's, it it's right there. It's income inequality. Now all of a sudden it's underrepresentation. Hold it right Not there. A... Hold it right there, Lay. That's such an important point. Once you get there and the goalposts having been moved, i, I got to take a quick break, short segment. Okay. We'll come back and pick up on it on the other side if I can, because I think you put your finger right on the button. I'm Seth Liebson. He's the great Larry Elder. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You can see why I like him so much, why he is so popular. Larry Elder, delighted to have him with us. He was talking about his movie, Uncle Tom. You can get it and watch it yourself at UncleTom.com. Just a fabulous film. But, Larry, you were getting into this point about goalposts having been moved. Joe Biden, at his inaugural speech, spoke about um, America and the harsh, ugly reality of racism and nativism and fear and demonization and anger and resentment and hatred and extremism. Those are all his words. (laughs) And I sometimes wonder, you know, do they promote this because they need to and have to, or is it reality? Because I got to tell you, you were talking about the goalposts, and you can do it better than I can, but it's not the reality I know. It just isn't. And I guess someone could say easy for a white guy in Phoenix to say. But, uh, you know, I've lived in a lot of different cities. I've lived in major uh, in majority minority cities, too. And I, it's not the America I know. Have we become more racist? Are we more racist than we've been? Do we have a real problem in this country, Larry, or is it a leadership problem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the problem in this yeah. country is that, that we assume that we've got a problem in this country about racism. Okay. When in fact, we don't. Okay. Look, um, let's, just, let's just take Obama. Yeah. This is a man who, in 2007, goes to a black church uh, and talks about how much racism there is in America. And he says, 
the Moses generation, referring to the generation of Martin Luther King, right. the Moses generation has, quote, gotten us 90% of the way there, end of quote. And I thought that was reasonable. Mm-hmm. And then he said, my generation, the Joshua generation, has to get us that additional 10%. Right. Now, the man got elected president the following year and then got reelected in 2012. Now, don't you think that 10% has gotten down just a little bit? Yeah, we're at least now, at 6 or 7 or 8, I would think. You bet. Yeah, and, and regarding the 6 or 7 or 8%, let's talk about that. Yeah. 2002 Fox Opinion Poll. Elvis is still alive, or there's a possibility that he is. 8% of Americans said yes. So i got a feeling there's a lot of overlap with that 6% and uh-huh. the 8% who believe that Elvis is still alive. Are you with me? Uh-huh. There's always going to be nutcases in America. It's uh-huh. nirvana, where every single white person is completely devoid of racism is the goal. We're never going to get there. Speaking of which, yeah. pick up your magic wand, Seth. Yeah. Wave it over America. Yeah. Now, every smidgen of white racism has been removed from the hearts of white America. Okay. Do the problems that black America, brown America face still remain, which are 70% black boys brought into the world without a father married to the mother, 50% Hispanic uh, kids brought into the world without a father married to the mother, in the inner city, 50% dropout rate uh, among inner city schools uh, in the uh, black community, uh, 25% of young black men have criminal records. That. By that I mean, have been arrested in jail, on parole, or on probation. Have those problems gone away now that all of white racism has vanished? Do we still have those problems? We have the those problems. Yes. So therefore, yeah. what are we talking about here? Now, getting back to Obama. Yeah. Uh, Obama, after he gets out of, uh, out of uh, office, mm-hmm. uh, he gives a speech at a historically black college. Mm-hmm. And he says, if you could be born anywhere, at any time in history, any place, where would it be? When would it be? It would be here. It would be now. Because, and proceed to talk about all the wonderful opportunities that black people have. This is the same guy who a moment ago said, racism is in America's DNA. If I had a kid, he looked like Trayvon. Oh, we got our own problems. we got a place called Ferguson. Brings in Black Lives Matter. Al Sharpton's in the White House 80-some times over the course of his second term. All because the political Obama knows that in order to get reelected and for Democrats to do well, black people have to be angry about racism. So therefore, he says it even though he knows it's not true, even though his whole life has belied it. This is a guy who goes to the finest prep school in, in Hawaii, goes to Accidental out here in L.A., finishes up at Columbia, Harvard Law School, president of the Harvard Law, Law Review, knocks off Hillary, becomes president, and you're telling me this guy really believes that racism is a major factor in America? Does he honestly believe that? Is he telling Sasha and Malia that? Hell no. It's bull. It's a con that Democrats do every election time because they know they need to do this for votes. But do they really believe it? Do you think Joe Biden really believes racism remains a major problem in America? you think Nancy Pelosi really believes that? you think Maxine Waters really believes that? They do not. It's a con. But I believe that a lot of the voters believe it because these guys have lied to them and made them feel this way. The biggest one is systemic racism about the cops, Seth. Every study I've seen shows it is not only not true, but if anything, the cops are more hesitant, more reluctant to pull the trigger on a black suspect than on a white suspect. I'll leave you with this last thing. As more white, unarmed whites have been killed in the last few years than unarmed blacks, name one unarmed white. I can't do it. That's my point. I've given speeches where there have been thousands of people, and I said that, and I dropped the mic, and I walked around for 30 seconds. Nobody can come up with one. Yeah.
more whites killed, unarmed whites killed than, than blacks, because the media doesn't give a rip. It doesn't advance their story. The story has to be that America is systemically racism. Cops are engaged in systemic racism. America is foundationally, and, and uh, Beto O'Rourke gave me that one, foundationally racism, endemically racism. I hadn't heard those before. Those were new ones. And that's the problem. They've got to invent stuff because racism has receded as a factor in American life to the point where it's almost insignificant. I'm watching Mookie Betts in the World Series, Seth. Yeah. And um, after, this, after the thing is over, uh, game is over, uh, uh, a guy named Harold uh, Michaels is a black uh, sportscaster, yep. and he says to Mookie, Mookie, congratulations on, on the World Series. Uh, everybody's talking about this. Uh, how does it feel to be the only African-American in the World Series? Mm. And Mookie Betts says, Seth, um, I didn't know about it until you just now told me. Yeah. Exactly. And then he said something because he had to say something politically correct, but he said something. I mean, the exactly. doctor manager is black. Yeah. Is this on? Yeah. I mean, what do you want me to do here? Racism. It's not, it's not like black people are being forbidden from playing the way they were before Jackie Robinson. Right. They're making other choices. Is this an issue? Racism is so bad you have to tell people it exists even when they don't think it does. That's how bad well, it is. Well, when, when the sources go down, you have to come up with new areas of supply, and yeah. that's what they're doing. I remember watching a guy named Phil Ivey. He's the Tiger Woods of poker. Okay. Uh, broke, came into the scene a few years ago. He's on 60 Minutes. And, uh, Phil, uh, uh, how has racism impacted your career? <laughs> and he goes, uh... <laughs> Has it? Uh, poker, poker's about money. <laughs> uh, uh, Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods, first commercial. Remember the first commercial yeah. in the '90s? Yeah. He's walking down yeah. the green, and the voiceover says, "And even though I've won three amateur titles in a row, there are still golf courses where I can't play because of the color of my skin." Right. A columnist with the Washington Post contacts Nike, says, "Yo, Nike, give me a list of yeah. the courses where Nike right. can't play." Right. And the guys admitted that Nike can play anywhere he wants. Yeah. And, okay. and the post guy goes, well, then why, why are you doing this? Well, we, we, we want golf to be an inclusive sport, so therefore that, that's what we said. Yeah. They lied. You have to manufacture. All of a sudden, Tiger Woods comes out of Stanford. He's Malcolm X. Yeah. Really? Right. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful thing about this country where we have the beautiful facts that are killing these ugly theories, Larry. And because of the work you do, we're getting this out. I, I just needed to hear from you today, and God bless you. Man, God you are the you. teacher we need right now. I love it. Let me pump UncleTom.com one more time, folks. If you haven't seen this love letter to America, you want to. Larry, um, listen, have a great weekend. God bless you. God love you. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Love you, man. We'll talk to you soon. I, um, I almost don't know how to end on a, after an interview like that, after listening to Larry Elder. He had told me he had some things on his chest he needed to get out, and I am so glad he did. I'll just say this, I guess in closing. I usually close with quote better than something I could create. But let me just close with this thought. When Larry talks about that magic wand, that's a powerful image. If you could wave a wand over America and erase and eradicate every vestige of racism in this country, it's a powerful image. And you think about what problems would be left. Education certainly sticks around, doesn't it? And we had, in the last four years, an effort to push and promote more educational options and educational choice, which has been the standard magical tool, if you will, to um, help lift up impoverished and, um, and uh, minority populations. I think we're going to see a reversal on that. I think we're going to see efforts against that from this administration 
Here's the dramatic irony. The poet laureate, Amanda Gorman, who spoke at Joe Biden's inaugural, who attended Harvard University before she went to Harvard University. She went to a private school in Santa Monica. She went to a private school in Santa Monica, the New Rhodes School. $41,000 a year to go to that elementary and secondary school, the New Rhodes School in Santa Monica. Yes, you commit to educational choice, you can see people soar. Soar to great, great heights. I do not understand why some people want it for them and will deprive it of others. That should not be the American way going forward either. God bless you all. Have a great weekend. Until Monday, I'm Seth. God bless you. Class dismissed.